Dr. Walter Aka, and I have one of my closest friends with me right now, uh, Dr. Deep Shaw. He is a board-certified pediatric dentist, and he was on here before. Uh, if you want to look up the episode, you can absolutely go ahead and look it up. Uh, it was great knowledge back then, and I actually brought him back on to continue this so that we can talk more about, you know, different habits that kids might need to stop, how parents could prevent any issues from happening uh, in the future with their teeth. So, Dr. Shaw, what's going on? Hey, Dr. Walter. Thanks for having me back, man. Oh, man, not at all. It's my pleasure, honestly. So, go ahead. Uh, you know, I, want, I wanted you to kind of tell us, you know, some of the different things that you talk to patients about, you talk to parents about when it comes to poor habits, like, you know, thumb sucking, like pacifier habits. And, and then we want to talk about how what we need to look out for. And then also, how do we break the habit? Yeah, sure. So uh, it's actually a subject that really hits close to home for me because my little guy, uh, who's just over two years now, had a pretty bad thumb sucking, prolonged thumb, thumb sucking habit and just recently broke it. We've been thumb free for the last three weeks. And so the biggest thing I tell parents is that you would just want to, whether it's a thumb sucking habit or whether it is a prolonged binky or pacifier use, the biggest thing here is that there's a couple indications that a prolonged habit is going to, you know, cause. The few things that you'll see right away are, you know, your, the front teeth can look protruded. The child can present with an open bite. And so that's kind of when they bite down. It's almost like you can slide uh, a credit card, a piece of paper, pretty much right between uh, their teeth. Uh, there's a higher chance of fracture of the front teeth. You know, if your child falls and has any type of front uh traumatic event excuse me a lot of the times these kids might also even present with a, a tongue thrust and so because you have that open bite the tongue just kind of sneaks itself out and so the one of the problems you have is kind of like a six foot tiger in a three foot cage and so that six foot tiger is almost like your tongue trapped inside your mouth a uh, couple more things you'll see are speech slash pronunciation issues uh you might get a little bit of a lisp when when your child speaks and then last but not least in order to sometimes regain that space your child may need like a palatal expander or some type of orthodontic intervention in the near future so these are just uh, a bunch of the signs that you can you know potentially see with a prolonged habit you know well so can you tell me what the difference between i mean is that basically what they call like a buck tooth you know how back in the day like someone would have like buck teeth you know like bugs bunny if, if kids even remember what bugs bunny looks like anymore <laughs> that that's exactly i almost take it it's like, it's like bugs bunny flared out like 2.0 so you might have those buck teeth but you're going to have a little bit of a proclination of those teeth so they're going to be a little bit angled out okay, and so, so that's kind of where that high out. fall risk comes in where it's yeah it's kind of like your classic buck teeth but it's got a little bit of flare to it so it puts them a little bit of a higher risk so i like the it's almost like a, a buck teeth 2.0 version of it um, kind of, you know, it's almost like you got, you do have that funny look to it, so to, so to speak. Um, and you have, uh, just because of that flaring. So it's a little bit, uh, unusual flaring that you'll, that you'll notice. So what happens is ideally, if you like, if you even just, if you look down, look at your knee, if you kind of bend your leg and if you look at your knee and kind of your, your thigh, you'll notice that like your knee has a nice U shape to it. And that's kind of the shape that you want your upper maxilla or your upper jaw to be. What happens with a prolonged thumb sucking or a prolonged pacifier is that you're going to cause more narrowing of this segment, of the maxillary segment, uh, just from your forces and your cheek kind of getting squeezed in. And as a result of that nice U, you're going to get more of a classic V shape. And that V is what causes that narrowing. And that's kind of where you want to regain that space in, in the near future. So if you have like a V shape, 
arch. Is that usually when, you know, they have to get braces and then they have to get what we call a palatal expander, which is basically something to flare their teeth back out into that shape? Exactly. That's going to be one of the earlier interventions. Because what you're losing is a lot of people think the jaw, upper jaw grows, you know, side to side, like left and right and also front and back. But also, you have to keep in mind there's transverse growth. So it goes, it grows forward, it grows sideways, it grows almost like it fans out. And so there's trans, we call that transverse growth. And so what you're doing here is that you need to regain, regain transverse growth of, of that arch. I see. Um, so let's talk about just thumb sucking for right now. Sure. You said you've experienced that situation. So what are some of the things that parents can do to help if their kid is a thumb sucker? And when is it too much? Like, so when are kids, you know, you have to basically step in when, at what age do you have to step in and say, you know what? This has gone on for way too long. We need to go ahead and solve this problem now before it gets too bad. Because I've seen like four, five, six-year-olds, if not older. I remember there was a kid in my middle school who used to suck his, you know, his thumb. Right. You know, so when do you step in and say this is a problem we need to solve it? Yeah. So I would say the ideal age, just to kind of cut to the chase, would be the age of three. That that's a good age to really start with some type of intervention that whether it's like therapy, whether it's an adjunct service. Now, can you start before that? Absolutely. You know, I've started, we did a little test run on my older son. Um, didn't work out too well with, with kind of the adjunct therapy using something called a T-guard, which is pretty much like a cylindrical cone that sh- sits on the thumb, has this cool strap, so it straps around the wrist, and it allows you to put the thumb in and, you know, in your mouth but the biggest, one of the biggest things with thumb sucking is if you look at your thumb, it's got this perfect dome shape to it. So when that touches and it rests on the top of your palate, you're going to get a high vault palate. And so a lot of times you got to keep in mind that the roof of your palate is also the, the floor of your nasal cavity. And so what you're doing is, in a sense, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And so you're taking away from the base of the nasal cavity and you're letting the palate take over that area. And so sometimes a lot of these kids may have a nasally, more of a nasally speech, uh, breathing issues, you know, can also occur. And that's something we can talk about, you know, like later in the segment as we go on, as far as, you know, the different indications you can see. But as far as like, you know, treating it, if their child is younger than three, I would say try some positive reinforcement at home, just because before the age of three, the cognitive ability of a child just isn't there. So you can't really reason with them. Getting compliance can be very difficult. But if you set up a little bit of a positive reward system, that's usually a great way to try and break the habit early on. When you're looking at the age of three, four, five, like you mentioned with some of these kids that you know, you know, that are still, the habit still persists at a later age, you want to get an appliance therapy in as soon as possible. Because like I said, the longer this goes on, the more damage you're doing, uh, to the growth of your, of your teeth and the growth of your bone there. Uh, more so the bone than the teeth, because the teeth are going to follow where the bone uh, kind of lies. Um, so you can use something called a tea guard, which is great. A very inexpensive and over-the-counter remedy that you can start at an early age is getting like an ace bandage, and you can kind of gently wrap that around the elbow joint. And so what you're going to get with this is you're going to have to be able to have the child bend their elbow, but they're not going to be able to flex it all the way where they're able to take that thumb and put it into their mouth. So if you're going to go with that, you kind of want your child to wear a little thin, long sleeve shirt at night so they can't, you know, unwrap that ace bandage. Um, I found this to have success rates as well as failure. I think it's one of the most fluctuant therapies. So is it worth a shot? I think so just because of how inexpensive it is. But the success rate hasn't really been the best 
uh, in terms of, you know, the patient population that I've had to deal with and even the parents that I've spoke to. When your child has more of a definitive dentition, let's say they're starting to get some of their adult molars in the back. Let's say they're six and a half, seven years old. They have their six-year molars which are in and they're still a thumb sucker. That's a good time to, you know, come to a dentist and we can make them something called a fixed appliance. It's either called a tongue crib or a tongue rake. And pretty much it's an appliance that goes in their mouth uh, that we custom make. And it really prevents the thumb from sitting on the palate. And they're just not able to rest their thumb on the roof of their mouth. Usually I have, when I've done these, they're in and out within 30, 30 days. Just because, you know, these kids that break the habit, you end up, you know, not you end up having that desire to do so, but you're just not able to sit the thumb and it just doesn't feel comfortable. And so you just break that habit pretty quick. You come in, we take it out, and you're set. So you talked about positive reinforcement, right? Let's talk about some of the myths and negative reinforcement. So, you know, parents know, hey, this is something you shouldn't do. Like, for example, I remember, you know, someone saying to me, well, all you got to do is put, like, lemon or pepper on their thumb so they won't suck Right. Oh man, coming from like the uh, from India, man, that that's kind of been one of the biggest things that uh, that I know I personally had done when I when I was growing up too. And so it's using like nail polish remover, it's using um, hot sauce or hot peppers, and those are all, in my opinion, like negative reinforcement because you know, a first of all, with, with like nail polish, and I had somebody reach out to me in regards to this. You don't want to give your child nail polish. You know, toxins that are in there, uh, the things that they're ingesting, like. It's just not worth it. The other thing is you don't want to scare your child. I see, I'll see a lot of parents, uh, negative, it's not, almost like negative reinforcement, um, in the ways saying that, hey, if you suck your thumb, you know, you're not going to get a sticker or, you know, like I'm going to put thumb guard on you, you know, or we're going to put this appliance on. Um, you want to empower your child and you don't want to take that away from them. So it shouldn't be a punishment if they, you just want to encourage them in, in every capacity. So if, for example, with with our with our older one, with Aryan, uh, we gave him the option of either breaking the habit on his own, or we actually bought the thumb guard for him at the age of you know just a couple months back. So he was just over two, probably a little bit of an earlier age. But hey, man, one of the perks of you know being a dentist is you can test your child as a guinea pig. So that's exactly <laughs> what we did with him. And, <laughs> for anybody out there, that's not child abuse because he's yeah. he's professionally trained. Hey, hey man. So <laughs> what, what we ended up doing was we ended up putting this thumb guard on him, for example, and he loved it for the first 10 minutes. And literally all of a sudden a switch went off in his head and he literally went ballistics for the next 10, 15 minutes. And we realized we're not going to torture him. You know, we want him to understand that, hey, this is another option here to help you. Keyword being help you. And at the end, we empowered him. We gave him the decision. Either, hey, you can do this by yourself and not put your thumb in your mouth, or we're going to have to use Thummy, which is what he named it, um, to help you. And he's not going to hurt you, but he's going to be on there. He might feel a little uncomfortable, but he's going to help you break the habit. And when we went it at that way, he realized that he just wants to do it by himself. And guess what? He did it by himself. And in the mornings, whether he decided to, you know, whether let's say he was going to use Thummy or, or use, you know, not use him at all. We were still going to give him a sticker for that night that he didn't, you know, have his thumb in his mouth. And for us, every time he collects three stickers, he got like a piece of chocolate, for example. Now, what I tell parents is create your own reward system, you know, and and you want to empower your kid because when there's an end goal for kids, especially when they're a little bit older, three, four, and their cognitive ability is there, it makes it more of a game and a challenge for them. And you're also fostering growth and creativity and just development. And at the same time, um, it's just we find it to be like good parenting, right? You're 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 parenting out of love and not fear. So, 
maybe you, you know this, and I, I, I personally don't, but what causes kids to all of a sudden develop this habit of putting their thumb in their mouth? Is it just for comfort? Is it for just boredom? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think it starts early on when a child, you know, is trying to get like kind of like oral, oral fixation, and they're kind of like you know putting their when they're younger and they're a baby and they're kind of gnawing on things. And the first thing you kind of get oral fixated with are your fingers. Your digits are right there. And as time goes on, uh, for many kids, yeah, like you said, it's a comfort thing. It's a passive thing. Um, if your child sometimes is hungry at night and there's you know if they're on the bottle, you know they're gonna suck on their thumb to kind of give them that almost that effect. Uh, of, of soothing them so it's a, it is at the end of the day it's a self-soothing mechanism um and obviously with the thumb being there it's a lot more readily you know accessible uh than sometimes a pacifier now pacifiers i'm not saying pacifiers are bad like pacifiers at least up until the age of one or so are great in preventing SIDS. so there's definitely um you know reduced sudden infant death syndrome with the use of a pacifier so uh there, there's definitely pros to this and it's not all cons but it's just once again realizing that limit when you want you want to start to slowly wean them off of it, and that once again for me that's around the age of of two eighteen months to two years of age is probably a good time to slowly you know get rid of the binky um and just try to wean them off okay so well now you've you've actually done this yourself you've transitioned into pacifiers, so pacifiers can they actually cause the same situation that you were talking about where the roof of the mouth like, you know basically goes into the nasal area that does it get you know flare out their teeth? Can we have the same issues with pacifiers? You can, uh, absolutely, especially with the flaring of the teeth, because what you're doing is, in essence, you're still having a suckling motion, and where the pacifier rests is in the mouth, and you kind of, the, the, the muscles that are involved are the same muscles. The only one difference that I have noticed is um, because of the digital pressure, digital pressure and using that thumb and pushing against the roof of your mouth, that force definitely exceeds the force of a pacifier. And, you know, a pacifier, you're not going to really, it's not going to be resting on the roof of the mouth. So you're not going to see much uh, of a, I would say you're not going to see a higher palatal vault, or at least I can say that I have not seen a higher palatal vault uh, in the patients who are, you know, binky users or pacifier users compared to the th their thumb sucking counterparts. Uh, but as far as the dentition, as far as the growth, as far as the protrusion of those teeth and the open bite, yes, you, you will still see the same characteristics uh, in in the development of the upper jaw. Okay, so we got thumb sucking, we got pacifiers. You talked about how doing the thumb sucking could actually prevent or basically cause uh, uh, snoring and stuff like that, sleep apnea. Is that something that's been connected? Based, you know, kids snoring at a younger age because they suck their thumb. So as far as like sleep apnea, I think with with that, what you're going to see also at an earlier age, it kind of in lieu transitions into another topic of tongue tie and like angoglossia, which is the uh, you know medical terminology for having a tongue tie. Uh, not the the thumb sucking and the pacifier use totally independent of of a tongue tie, but with a tongue tie, what you might, if you're talking about the snoring, which you referred to, um, it's one. That's just one of the possibilities. The biggest thing you're going to see is just feeding. Um, and that's something if you want to dive into right now, we can definitely dive into yeah. a little bit of tongue no, let's talk about let's talk about tongue tied, actually. Yeah, uh, you, do it. You've transitioned very well again. So with tongue tied, describe it. What are parents looking for? And I remember when my daughter was born, that was the first thing that they checked to make sure that, you know, she was able to feed, make sure that, you know, she was gaining the weight that she needed to gain. 
So let's talk about tongue-tied, what to look for in parents, new parents, you know, uh, continual parents, and then what we need to do to uh, prevent that, and how do we uh, fix it? Oh, man, I love this, man. This is this is a topic I, I really am excited for, and I love, but once again, just like your, your uh, little girl, uh, both my boys uh, had to have their, you know, tongues uh, snipped, and so my, with my youngest, I, I did that. Uh, sorry, who was my youngest at the time? I uh, say so you still see you never, even as a parent, man, you still confuse your kid. It's, it's just hey, bound to happen. A, as long as you don't <laughs> so, admit to who your favorite is, that's all that matters. <laughs> so Arya, who's the oldest now, I actually had the uh, opportunity to revise his tongue when he was younger, and then we just had our other, our new, our newborn, Rion. Uh, he had his done not too long ago, and definitely a big improvement. So I'll start with some basics, just to kind of you know, kind of lay the foundation, so to speak. So. Tongue tie, aka anchorglossia, is pretty much like an embryological remnant um, of tissue that's in the midline, and it's found kind of between the undersurface of the tongue and the floor of the mouth. And what it does, in essence, is that it restricts tongue movement. So, in order to kind of like meet the criteria of being tongue tied, there has to be a functional limitation in addition to the anatomical finding underneath the tongue, which is that remnant I just spoke about. So basically, so, patients, uh, you're your kids can't, you know, uh, move their tongue freely. Correct. And so, exactly. Like you just, you can't get like a full range of motion, so to speak. So, what you'll see as far as, you know, clinical manifestations are, um, you know, it's going to affect speeding. It can affect speech, uh, oral hygiene. It's going to affect your facial and airway development. And as you alluded to at the beginning of this uh, kind of segue, sleep and like sleep disordered breathing. And so, here, here's a really neat thing, just some background of people that know. So, up from the 1600s up until, like, the early 1900s, believe it or not, phrenectomies were done very routinely by midwives. And so, these midwives had these, you know, they'd have, let's say, a pinky, a pinky finger, or they have a really long nail on one of their pinky finger or their index finger. And when these babies were born, they'd just be slip, and they just slip. Slip the uh, extra tissue um, right then and there on the spot. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. you can't you can't say something like that and not really get in depth. So, so you're telling me that they had one finger that was like just weirdly grown out with a sharp nail in there, and they would just go ahead and cut the the front. Yes, you got it. And this is the midwives. These were the midwives, and that was kind of the back in the, you know back in the day. It's kind of what they had there to help the mothers, you know, just give birth these midwives but that's exactly what they had man they had one one finger designated uh for a situation like that now whether it be i've heard stories of you know sometimes the uh the the umbilical cord um you help out with like in a small remnant of that but the main use of that was to help with uh, a tongue release so these midwives could have been assassins is what you're telling me based on (laughs) thank um, thank god many of them were not but yes that's what definitely could have happened (laughs) but go ahead so that's actually pretty cool i didn't know that yeah so that's what happened up until the early 1900s right now we've all heard of a company called nestle nestle yep no nestle i I always think i always think nestle yeah nestle's chocolate you got it man so before they got introduced as nestle chocolate nestle used to make formula um and they actually were the ones who introduced formula um in in the 1900s like the early to mid 1900s and so what started happening was formula feeding started to replace breastfeeding it came across as a great marketing scheme it's easy to do you know biggest thing was as a woman you're not going to experience pain you just you know give this to your child it has all the nutrition the nutrients that your child needs to grow and moms realized hey like 
this is great. This is easy. My child's getting fed. And at the same time, there's no ramifications on my breasts. I'm not having pain. My health is being preserved. And so that's kind of, you know, where that change happened. And then as you proceed, you know, into the 20th century into like our 21st century, we start to realize, hey, like we got to bring breastfeeding back mainly because due to the resurging benefits that we've seen um, in studies. So there's been a reduction in otitis media or ear infections, asthma, eczema, obesity, uh, childhood leukemia, diabetes. I mean, these are things that we've noticed and have been researched that you've seen a direct correlation with breastfeeding and um, these kind of diseases on the decrease. Whereas a lot of babies who aren't, you know, who've been bottle fed, you'll see a little bit more of these situations arise. I see. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's, it's funny, you know, I learned all this stuff whenever my wife was pregnant, we took a class and, you know, I consider myself to be a midwife, um, because I took 10 weeks. <laughs> Let me see those nails, man. Let me see those nails. Bro, they, 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 they've, they've been cut off. They've been cut off. Don't worry about that. You know, <laughs> but I, I truly believe that all the benefits that you just mentioned is, is completely there, you know, and, but, you know, I will also say though, if you can't breastfeed for whatever reason, it's fine. Right, the formulas oh, have absolutely improved. Correct. Correct. Right. Correct. And like I said, this is no obligation to any mothers out there. You know, yeah. we're not condoning you for not breastfeeding. Right. Uh, at, at all. You know, like it said, we, we live in an, an era and the world where you got to do what you know what's best for you. And right. so, in no way, shape, or form, you know, are we, you know, condoning that. And I just want to make that very clear because everyone's situation is very, very different. For sure. And and so let's continue with this tongue tied issue. You talked about. So when kids, how do you know that your kid has sleep apnea? I know when my adult patient has sleep apnea because they tell me, hey, I'm always tired. I'm, you know, I snore at night and my wife or, you know, partner is telling me this. You know, so when do we, how do we know if a kid, a baby has sleep apnea? Yeah. So it's, it's, as a baby, it's, it's difficult to kind of really assess that. Um, for, for a baby, just because we're on the topic, what you're going to be looking at for a baby is just kind of the basic signs, right? So, like, for example, you know, with your daughter, like, what you may have noticed is, like, a poor latch. Uh, they might have been falling asleep while they were feeding. They cry and they're fussy often. Uh, a lot of these times, these babies have aerophasia. And so what happens is, while they're suckling on the nipple or the bottle, they're also taking a good amount of air in. And so, as a result, they become very fussy and gassy. And you call these, like, the reflux babies. And so they'll spit up often. They have a hard time gaining weight. Now, the biggest thing you have to keep in mind is that you're not, your child is not going to gain weight right away. Because after, you know, the child's dis you're, you're discharged from the hospital, they say it takes almost about 10 days or so for the baby to regain their birth weight. Right, yeah. And so I always say that those first 10 days, you know, if latching is an issue, you can't jump to the tongue tie right away. You got to give it a little bit of that dormant period to let the child adjust, let the mother adjust, and, and kind of go from there. Um, and then now to go into the sleep apnea. So what's going to happen is as a child grows and, you know, the, the feeding issue is kind of out the way. So after a certain point, you know, if they are breastfeeding, um, you know, they're going to stop at some point. Now what you're looking to is transitioning from a baby, which mainly involves latching and feeding issues, to a toddler or a child. And what you're going to notice with them is more of an invagination of the tongue. So I call it a butt tongue. When you have the child stick their tongue out, you almost see like a W or an M, or a crease that forms at the tip of the tongue. And so that tongue is not a smooth, you know, it doesn't have that smooth conical shape to it. You'll kind of get a crease in the middle. And so what 
happens with children is you'll notice that cleansing becomes hard. So you should, everyone right now, if you take your tongue and you take your tongue and you move it across the top of your teeth, you should be able to cleanse your your upper vestibule with your tongue. So your front, no your front part, all. the front part of your teeth. Front part of your teeth, exactly. Yeah, so I want, if, you, if, you're, all if the you're driving, right. if you're driving, if you're listening to this at home, I want you to do this. Okay, I want you to basically rub your tongue on the front part of your teeth, and that's exactly what he's talking. About. Yeah, and that's your cleansing mechanism right there. The tongue plays an important role um, in cleansing. Uh, the other thing you're going to see um, is full range of motion. So your tongue really, really plays an important role in phonetics and speech. And now there's three things that you're going to notice if you have a child at home or someone you know, try this on them the next time you see them. Make them say words that start with TH. So you're looking at thirsty, thunder, you know, uh, throttle. And you'll notice that when you say these words, the tongue has to touch the front teeth. And so kids who have a severe t uh, tongue tie aren't able to raise the tongue so it comes and meets up with the, you know, incisal edge or the bottom portion of those top teeth. Another letter is are the L's. So lollipop, um, you know, Lucy, Lucy. Thanks, man. I'm like yeah. blank. Any L sound, right? <laughs> Any like, L sound at all. Uh, you, you're gonna try and say say those, and sometimes with the L, you're kind of doing the same thing. That the tongue's gonna kind of roll off the back of the teeth there, back of the upper teeth. So Lucy, you know, like you said, um, lollipop. Uh, you can even say love. I mean, love. You right? got it, man. Yeah. I'm having a hard time with my L words today. That's but all good. Those, those are gonna be the ones that you'll notice as well. Mm -hmm. Last but not least, these are kind of hard. Are the R's? You know, so if you say something like Roger Rabbit, you know, Rolling mm -hmm. Rapids. And a lot of the times you'll see these kids say Wadger Wadded. You'll get a W. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out of time, real quick. Did Elmer Fudd, could he have had tongue tied? I he could have had tongue tied, man. Because Dude, I used to say Wesley Wadded. just have solved the biggest mystery of all time, man. You know what? I feel like I did. <laughs> I feel good about this. You know, this is my contribution to this podcast was, was you know, Elmer <laughs> Fudd could have been tongue tied. <laughs> you got it, man. And now. All of what I just mentioned, I'm going to lead into your question of sleep, like kind of like sleep disorder breathing. Yeah. Um, now, the one thing I'll have you do, another exercise at home, if you're there listening anywhere, close your mouth and just swallow. And notice where your tongue resides when you swallow. Your tongue's parked at the roof of your mouth right behind the upper teeth. That is the natural home of the tongue right there. Now, what happens at night for kids who are severely tongue-tied, they try to keep their tongue there. But now you have an equal and opposite, and in most cases, a greater force that's pulling back on that. And you also have gravity that's pulling down. And so guess what happens as time goes on? That mouth slowly opens, and you become a mouth breather. Um, and that's kind of what happens. Now, you get these sleep disorder breathing. So you get snoring, you get mouth breathing. All of this causes an increase in upper airway resistance, which affects the uh, peripheral, peripheral vascular resistance. And so as a result, you can get increase in blood pressure as time goes on. So the other thing is, is you become a mouth breather, you know, and if this goes undiagnosed, you kind of become a, you have a dolagocephalic facial profile. And what I mean by that is your face looks elongated. And that's just from you sleeping with your mouth open. And we all know that a lot of growth hormones get secreted at night. So a lot of the remodeling your bone and things of that nature are going to occur at night uh, when you're resting. So if you're sleeping with an open mouth, things are going to grow such. 
to kind of fit, you know, it's going to be, uh, the, pu- the puzzle pieces are going to match the puzzle. And if that's the way you're sleeping, that's the way things are going to kind of naturally fall in, in, in nature's course. And so this is where, uh, kind of sleep plays a role. Now, I'm not saying that all sleep related issues are tongue tie driven. And that's, I want to make that very, very clear because there are people out there who are going to start, you know, harping on this or people I know out there that, Oh, any, any little frenum, they want to snip and they want to release. And, and that's not absolutely necessary. You need to take this on a case by case basis, just like you would do it, you know, if in, in any profession, you know, you always have to evaluate the situation, um, of, of the situation that you're in. And so that's, that's the one, the one big, big thing, uh, the one big takeaway is that not all, not all sleep disorder breathing or, you know, in adults, um, obstructive sleep apnea or bruxism is a result of, of having a, a tongue tie. Well, let's talk about that real quick. And this should be the last uh, topic, but. I feel like a lot of people, it's kind of like, you know, dentistry always finds their, their favorite thing, right? Dentists always find the one thing that they can make good amount of money on and it, they overuse it. And right. I'm, I'm finding that a lot of pediatric dentists have started to advertise and say, Hey, I can get rid of tongue tie. And they do tongue tie on everybody because they have a laser that they, they can use. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, so quick. Let me just go ahead and take care of this for you. Do you Absolutely. think that it's overused now? Um, did you say, do I feel people overuse them? I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, I think they do. And the problem here is that, you know, it's not just dentists. There's a lot of other professions out there, like oral surgeons, ENTs, who can do the exact same thing. And so it comes down to the training. And the one thing I say is, you know, just let your ethics guide you. That's the biggest thing. Um, l- lower frenums, like I said, have the most correlation to having them done. And most of the time, I mean, if you read a lot of the literature, the, the, the benefits definitely outweigh, you know, the risk and they, they just outweigh the situation. Um, even in a child who's not severely tongue-tied, if you do release the frenum, you will see an added benefit. But people are going crazy nowadays with, like, with labial ties. And, you know, especially a lot of folks who are not, you know, in conjunction, not kind of well up to speed with, you know, using orthodontics and releasing a labial tie in conjunction to, te- to moving teeth. You know, there's there's a lot of things that you have to keep in mind on when to do certain things and how to do them. And so I find, for example, with labial tie, I'm sorry, with, with lingual phrenectomies, the best time to do them is when the child is an infant. And then the second best time to do them is when the child is six or seven, just because you get a lot more, you know, compliance. If I have to do them on a child who's three or four, I'll generally sedate them, a little bit of oral conscious sedation, which is, I know, something that we talked about, Last you know, a few episodes back. That's right. Um, but, you know, you you got to take the situation in regards. Now, the other thing, like quickly, I'll talk about are labial ties. I think they're very equally as important. And labial ties are the ties that you have kind of on the upper lip. And those, those can also play an issue uh, in feeding. They're just not as as pronounced and not as prominent. But the reason you might want to do those at an earlier age is whether if, if the upper frenum is covering the maxillary incisors, so it's becoming a food trap. And you know, that, that's usually the number one reason if there's a lot of blanching. And if if you take care of an infant that has a lower tongue tie and feeding is still an issue and when they're suckling, you can see pinching of the upper lip or you see blanching when you lift up the upper lip, that would be an indication to go ahead and also release the labial frenum as well. Um, other than that, I mainly do them in conjunction with working with an orthodontist. So if there, if I, if there is a frenum up there, I want to make sure that the orthodontist has a game plan to close those teeth. And then you're looking at around the age of 11 or 12 is when you want to go in, remove that, you know, remove that frenum, have the teeth closed. And guess what? You're going to get an internal scar. So you're almost getting a built-in retainer, so to speak, with those upper teeth. You do it too early, 
now you might have a difficulty time moving those teeth. And that's something that, you know, maybe some other colleagues out there in other professions who are, who are amazing, but you just got to know yourself and you got to know why you're doing something rather than just doing it for the sake of doing it. That's it. Okay, cool. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. It's funny. I Last week, I did a guy. He was probably, what, 28? And I did his tongue tie. He had had issues with it for a while. He basically came in because it was starting to bother him. He came in because now, all of a sudden, like it was rubbing raw. You know, every right. time he stuck his tongue out, he was like, yeah, it really hurts when I try to eat and all that stuff. And he finally had had it. So I ended up doing it. And I explained to him. I'm going to be completely honest with you. You've changed your voice and your speech is going to change a little bit. You're going to have to get used to it. Right. You normally do this when, when they're kids, when they're babies, so that they can kind of grow into it. You're an adult. You've had your pattern. You've had your habits. And now you have to re-evaluate uh, everything, you know? And so that's the one big thing is when they're older, the hardest part is basically trying to get them to speak like they normally do, you know, because now their tongue is a lot more loose. Absolutely. I mean, this is what I think, like, whether you're a child or an adult, uh, having a myofunctional therapist or doing some myofunctional therapy on board is very important. Uh, not only before the tongue tie, but, you know, after. I think a lot of people understand, you know, the tongue's a, a strong muscle and you get your tongue tied. It's very important to work it, work it out afterwards. And Equally so myofunctional important. is just basically somebody that works your muscles that way. Yeah, like it, could, it could be a speech therapist, yeah. um, you know, someone that you can work with. It could even be like a, a PDS dentist or, you know, a dentist that you're comfortable with that's trained in that. Uh, but they'll have you pretty much go over pronation. Um, they'll have you go over uh, how to use your tongue, you know, have, how to extend your tongue out, do different exercises with your tongue. And the whole goal here is just like any other part of your body, your tongue is a muscle and it needs to be trained, which you just touched on because you're going to lose some of those skills. Um, and you have the, your tongue all of a sudden has its freedom. And it's like, where do I go? You know, right. I can go, I can roam, I can roam the entire mouth. Like, <laughs> where do I go? Um, and so you need to kind of, your tongue has to regain that control. And so this myofunctional therapy and these tongue exercises are really going to help not just strengthen um, that tongue, but also help stabilize it as right. well. Okay. So let's end it here. Okay. I am now starting to ask questions about, you know, dentists. So people are patients and everybody can kind of understand. So first question for you is what brought you into dentistry? That's a great question, man. Um, so I, I think what people don't know is when I was younger, I had acute lymphoblastic leukemia, mm. ALL. And this is one reason why this topic we just talked about hits close to home. I was not a breastfed baby. I was bottle fed. And, I, you know, I think some of the eczema that I have, um, with some of the medical situation in my, my younger, my younger uh, childhood, I think is due to, uh, the fact of, you know, not having, those immunoglobulins and kind of the antibodies um, in, in breast milk. And uh, in my case, you know, with the ALL, growing up with that, seeing, luckily for me, like I said, I, I, I'm fortunate enough not to have chemotherapy, um, radiation therapy. I just responded to methotrexate, which is a, a cancer drug. Right. And, you know, I've been in remission since the age of five. So it's been 27 years, um, you know, and I'm, I'm super blessed about that. For sure. But growing up for me, uh, when I used to go to St. Chris Hospital in Philadelphia, I think it wasn't until my teens uh, that I saw a lot of these like eight, nine, ten year olds hooked up to an IV, totally bald. And I'm going to tell you something, man, they were the happiest kids I've ever seen in my life. And uh, it was almost like the hospital was their safe haven. And I think that's kind of when it resonated with me that, you know, I, I'm sitting here, um, you know, I had hair, I didn't have, you know, an IV hook to me. Uh, and then I see these kids who are literally, 
I could feel bad for them, but guess what? They didn't feel bad for themselves. They were, they were just so happy. And I think that's really what got me into realizing that I wanted to work with kids. And I think it wasn't until dental school when I realized um, kind of the sudden impact they can have with children um, and then kind of using your hands, being creative. A lot of dentists will tell you that it's all art. Like dentistry is all about art and creativity, right? right. You're, you're, you want to use your fingers. You want to see instant results. And that's kind of one thing that drove drove me to dentistry was that instant gratification. Um, and I wanted these kids to feel happy and leave, you know, happy in the moment. Right. And so that's kind of, you know, what's been my driving factor. Um, and I'm just really, you know, I said, you, you got to love what you do and you got to do what you love. And I'm blessed to be in that situation. That's awesome. So the next question and final question is, what do you do outside of dentistry? What is a hat? What is a hobby of yours outside of dentistry? Yeah, so I, I I'm like a big like sports sports guy, man. So I, I uh uh big into like fitness, uh into like I'm an avid tennis player. Um, and other than that, I, I love to travel. And like I said, with, with even with with our two little ones, it just does not stop us from traveling. We love my wife and I love to travel. Our, our goal is to um. And so we we don't have a bucket list. We just have a to do list, and that that's kind of the way that we live life. It's just to kind of go out, explore, um, and just live life, you know. And, and that's kind of been kind of what I like to do outside of dentistry is just to live life to the fullest wherever I can, whether it's traveling, whether it's you know keeping in shape. Um, but my goal is just to be as as mentally, physically, and spiritually um, stable as I can. And so whatever helps me to get there, I'll do that. So I'm I'm open to anything and everything. That's awesome. I think you should uh, consider having a podcast, man, because you're very inspirational. <laughs> you know, nah, I appreciate it, man. Nah, to people going. I, I, maybe in a couple of years, man. I'm telling you, dude, I'm gonna lose. I'm, I'm gonna lose. Uh, lose it in a couple of years. Nah, These boys are driving me crazy. No, don't say that, man. This, this, this you know, I'm, you know, my family. We had my mom had four boys, and and you know, I consider her to be the most sane person I know. I mean, are we crazy? Yes, but she's not. <laughs> no, absolutely, man. No, it's like I say, it's it's a blessing. No, so. for sure. But thank you so much for coming on. We definitely appreciate you as always, you know. And I I know for sure whenever we have other topics, we'll bring you back in and we'll have you discuss it with the kids and and any other thing. I mean, you you're just full of knowledge, so I really appreciate you for this. Okay. Yeah, man. No, thank you so much for having me. It's, I mean, it's like I said, absolute pleasure. And uh, what you're doing, man, with you and uh, um, Dr. Kradock. Dr. Greyduck are doing, man. Yeah. It's incredible. And so, uh, it's like I said, man, it, life's all about living life you love. It's all about, uh, spreading knowledge. And, uh, like I said, you know, there, there's no vacation in the school of learning. So if you can learn something new a day, hey, man, that, that you're growing, right? And that's the only direction to go in life is to grow. So keep doing what you guys are doing. It's really inspirational. I'm not going to say anything after that. You did well. <laughs> all right, brother. Take care. Enjoy. Hey, thanks, man. All right. Thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at realdentist with an S at gmail.com. That's realdentist, R-E-A-L, dentist with an S at gmail.com. Remember, the opinions on this podcast are just that, our professional opinions. The final decision about your health should be made by you and a trusted dental professional.